From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Every team wants to be playing its best basketball come March, and that certainly seems to be the case for the Gators. Mike White's group concluded the regular season with three huge wins, and we'll hear directly from him today as his squad heads to the SEC tournament in St. Louis. Also, we'll have our weekly roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter on basketball's strong finish, Gators at the NFL Combine, baseball's offensive surge, big achievements for softball and lacrosse, and possible changes to the sport of college basketball. But first, while it hasn't been completely smooth sailing along the way, the Gators have certainly hit their stride at the right time. As Mike White wraps up his third year at the helm, we spoke to him about the season on the whole and began by asking what made the senior day domination of Kentucky so significant. Yeah, first off, we won an SEC game um, against a, a quality opponent. Uh, we continue to get better and peak at the right time. And lastly, and most importantly, our great crowd and, and the Rowdy Reptiles, um, our loyal fans did an amazing job uh, creating uh, an unbelievable environment that gave our three seniors a memory that'll last a lifetime. Um, and we honored three guys that um, were not only really good players here, but really good people and representatives of the University of Florida. It was a special day. I know a big part of Senior Day was honoring Chris Chioza and what he's done. Given everything he's accomplished, I'm sure you could talk all day about it, but what in particular stands out to you about Cheese and what he's meant to this program? Probably what's what stuck out the most is just the last year and a half, just how good he's been almost every day. I mean, he's he's been uh, incredibly consistent. He's He's steady. He's... He's got an even keel personality. Uh, he leads by example. And what's what's most refreshing is that he came off of last last year's NCAA tournament run, uh, where he uh, he became um, you know an, an overnight celebrity after he hit the shot, of course. And he comes back this fall with a with a renewed focus on leaving a legacy here at Florida that was bigger than than one shot and. You know, he didn't he didn't rest on those laurels. He uh, he didn't change. He got back to work and and he's had a great senior year. He's helped win a bunch of games. Uh, I imagine he's going to end up being an all league guy, deservedly so. And and the shot was was incredible. And I'll always be remembered for it. But I hope people at this point will remember him for the shot as well as uh, being a really good player and, and being the best passer in the history of the school. It doesn't just take cheese to win games. You have a lot of other important players, and especially your guards, which is a big part of this team. And I think what's interesting is the way that they're all sort of working in conjunction, doing a variety of things for you, which we saw from Kayvon Allen against Kentucky. So can you talk about what Jalen, what Kayvon, what Igor are also doing to, to make this thing work so well right now? It, it took a long time for us to hit our stride where we were equally as effective offensively and defensively defensively it it, it 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 took the most work you know 
for these for these guys to all uh, become connected and to completely buy into defending at the highest possible level. Um, offensively, uh, we, we've seen it in in spurts throughout the year where we'd have our, our bright spots, you know, and, and we'd have really positive performances offensively. And then we'd uh, we had some some dips uh, in the road as well. And so now we're at a point where the, the defense has become pretty consistent and we've learned how to play well together with having three high level scores, Keystone being another guy who's obviously very capable and growing in his game and, and Chris Chioza being our, you know, our setup guy who's also capable of scoring. But um, I think that these guys have just um, at least temporarily, we figured it out. Hopefully we can ride this momentum, but we've got in Igor, Jalen Hudson and Kayvon Allen, you've got three guys that are all capable of, of getting 25 on any given night. Yeah, I know as, as a coach, if you could figure out what thing in particular is pushing the right buttons, you would just do it all the time. So I'm curious, as you and your staff have kind of looked at the course of this season, what button do you think has been the most effective in getting that defense where you want it to be, especially recently? Oh, substitutions, in-game substitutions, <laughs> having guys sit next to you at times. I think can be a button that's been effective. Um, probably the biggest factor overall is having high character guys. I mean, we have we have good kids that deep down they've known every time every every practice we haven't given it our all, um, or we've missed assignments, or, or we haven't been as focused as we should have been. Every game when we watch the film, you know our, our guys know they've become a little bit more accountable. Um, a little bit more bought in, I think, to each other, giving of uh, of, of themselves a, a little bit more, learning how to get out of their comfort zone a little bit more, and um, you know, collectively, of course, we've we've gone from being very very poor defensively to a team that, that finished second in the regular season in defensive efficiency in our league. I guess that's a, a big point of growth, and that's certainly one that, that you would want to focus on. Are there any other areas? that you've been really impressed by the amount of growth that you've seen from your team from the start of the year and until today? Yeah, the second one would probably be just generally speaking, our, our overall level of maturity. Uh, this was a team that early in the season, uh, coming off a big win or a tough loss, either way, uh, our guys were so caught up in scoring and in minutes and in shot attempts and you know, there, there was a lot of uh, external expectation and a lot of what we call noise, of course, uh, coming at our guys from a bunch of different angles, especially after the start that we got off to. A lot of uh, positive noise that was coming our way. And then all of a sudden, you know, you lose two in a row at home. And now you've got the opposite end of the spectrum with all of this negative noise that, you know, comes out of left field. And our guys, you know, we, we didn't do a very good job of, of managing all of that noise and, and all of the, um, the external stuff that it comes with the winning or the losing. And I, again, I, I think a, too much of a, of a focus for our guys was on who's scoring and why, why is that not me? And well, I let us in scoring three games ago. Why didn't I lead us in scoring tonight? And now, now you've got, I mean, we were a bunch of individuals and now you've got a team that is, uh, is focused on the next opponent and taking what the defense gives us. And, and regardless of who leads us in scoring or who leads us in shot attempts, uh, we're, we're trying to win. That's at least the current mentality. Of, of course, uh, knock on wood, we continue to have that mentality that we've had as of late. 
Once you get to February, there's so much discussion about bracketology. And, and whether you're riding the top of the roller coaster or you're at the bottom, I imagine that's something you have to, to try and shut out. So how much do you have to guard against your players thinking too much about those bigger picture things that, that don't really relate to the next game, the, the next opponent mindset? I think people that didn't that didn't know that, that aren't familiar with um, playing at this level or coaching at this level, I think I think they would be shocked to know how much time we actually spend on the psychology of what you just talked about. Literally staying in this moment, focusing on these next five minutes of practice, um, especially in 2018, with everything that's coming at these kids, with social media, with all the news that's coming at us 24 uh, seven, with these guys being in the limelight. 31 nationally televised basketball games, hmm. you know, it, it, it's nuts. Um, we spend as much time on focusing on these five minutes in film uh, on, on this next four minute segment after this media timeout during the game, uh, more so than we spend on X's and O's. What does that look like? I mean, tangibly, how do you do that with your players? Honestly, you're repeating the same thing a bunch. I mean, you, you, we're literally begging these guys to stay in the moment, uh, to focus on on what's important to, to control our controls. You can't focus on what the ref just called. It's over. You can't change it. So get over it. Let's move on to the next play. We can't focus on what this media member said about me individually or you individually or us as a team positively or negatively. What Lenardi thinks, what Gary <laughs> Parrish thinks, none of that has anything to do with when you shoot the ball, whether it goes in or not. But if you're focused on all those things, it's probably not going in. And we're probably not getting that next stop. And you're probably not locked in in terms of how to defend uh, Daryl Macon when he's coming off the ball screen because you've got too much stuff in your head, uh, stuff that doesn't matter. So, again, we, we talk about controlling our controls and, and, uh, and focusing on the right stuff as much as we talk about anything. You know, all season long, the expectation, at least from the outside, was that John Igbunu was coming back in and was going to save the day and help you guys out in the post. And then that did end up happening. But I'm curious on the flip side of that, how impressed you've been with what the younger big guys have done, like Gorjak, especially recently, and Dante over the course of the last few weeks, what they've provided for you. Yeah, unfortunately for John, you know, for and, and for this team that was depending on him. But mainly for him, I mean, he's as disappointed as anybody. He's crushed, you know, that he couldn't help these guys and help Chris and Igor and and have the year that that he envisioned having. Um, really tough deal. He's worked his butt off, and it just it didn't it didn't work out for him. Um, that said, it has provided opportunity for some of these younger guys to gain some experience and to develop. You know, Kavari's had some struggles early on earlier on in the year, and um, he probably had some. Um, some questions in terms of, of, of his role and some um, I don't think that he's, he's always been really comfortable this year and, and, um, and having to be the guy and, and having the pressure on his shoulders to really, really step up with the absence of John full time. Um, but he, he's grown into it and he's, he's playing some of his best basketball as of late. Gorjak Gak, you mentioned, you know, really helping us the other day. He was great against Kentucky. He's had a tough year. You know, he's not as good as as he was late last year because he's hurt. You know, we've got we've got these bigs out all year and people forget he's playing with a bum knee. I mean, he he knows he's got surgery the day after the season's over and um, he doesn't feel good and he barely practices. 
so a healthy Gorjak Gak is better than the, the Gorjak Gak that's playing for us right now. But he's given us everything that he can just to help us. And and then, you know, Stokes and, and Chase Johnson are out. But Dante Bass is a much improved player over the course of the last few months. He's just gotten better and better. And this is a kid who redshirted last year, but he was in a boot. You know, he had surgery. Uh, he he didn't practice last year. So if you look at it that way, you know, he's he's a guy that's um, you know, he's, he's made a big jump. And there's and there's stuff to be proud about with regard to him as well couple of final things for you, uh, the, the first of which is not Gator-related, but some interesting news that came out earlier this week. Uh, your brother Brian is the new athletic director at FAU, which means you have two brothers that are athletic directors and one dad that's an athletic director, and you're a Division One head coach. So I'm curious, I think a lot of people would be, what is the secret sauce that, that the White family had growing up in, in that household? <laughs> oh, a lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. <laughs> it's funny. It's... um very very blessed we've we've got an awesome family i'm really proud of of both of my parents and and um they did a great job with providing us a bunch of opportunity um and and moving us around the country and and giving us such incredible life experiences in 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 a bunch of different states and and uh at a bunch of different really really good institutions and um you know obviously i'm i'm in coaching because it's basketball's all I knew. My brothers are, are a little bit smarter. <laughs> and they, um, they, they follow dad and, and they're great with what they do. They've got such a great resource with dad. Um, they've, they've got great relationships with them, with each other. Got a couple sisters as well, uh, who are, I'm very close with as well, but it's, it's really neat to have uh, both Danny and Brian now in the state of Florida with me. It's been such a strong year for SEC basketball, and, and it could be a record number of teams in the tournament here in, in a few days. Having been in the league for a couple of years and seeing that upward trajectory, what do you think has led to this growth? Well, I think it probably starts with, um, with recruiting. I think that our league is as talented as any league um, in the country. We've got, you've just got a bunch of really, really good players. I think this league's gotten a little bit older as well. And then in addition, I think that um, the emphasis on the strength of scheduling uh, throughout the league from top to bottom has really benefited individual teams uh, and also the league as a whole. Uh, our computer numbers, I think, are a reflection of, um, in a lot of ways, of playing really, really good teams, of course, throughout the country and going head to head with some of the best teams in the best leagues. And then, of course, this year we we just got over the hump a little bit more in terms of winning some of those games. Final question for you. Uh, other than the trophy, which I, I know is a, a priority, when you head to St. Louis for the SCC tournament, what are some of the most important things that you're hoping to take away from that experience? Uh, more than anything is, is progression um, and, and maintenance. You know, we're, we're a different team today than we were two weeks ago. We can't revert uh, in the limelight. Uh, tournament atmosphere, uh, scouts in the stands, NCAA tournament around the corner. Uh, we've got to handle this with maturity. We've got to continue trending in the right direction and um, hopefully finish the season as strong as possible. Well, we know how busy you are. I can hear the call coming in right now. So thank you very much for your time. And we wish <laughs> you a, a lot of luck as you progress through March. Thanks so much, man. Have a good one. While basketball is very much center stage at the moment, there are a host of other teams peaking right now that deserve your attention as well. 
We touched on a number of those sports in our roundtable discussion with Chris and Scott, but began by getting Chris's take on when he thinks basketball turned the corner. I'm not going to go with the final week of the season. In fact, I'm going to pinpoint the fourth to the final game of the season, Adam, and that was the loss at Tennessee where Florida was just abysmal uh, in the first half, uh, trailed that game. I believe the score was uh, 27 to 18, you know, didn't make any shots. uh, didn't, didn't really show a whole bunch of energy or anything like that, but something happened at halftime. Maybe it was the passionate chat that Mike White and his staff had with his team about a lot of the things that, that he'd been talking about a long time for about, I don't know, for whatever reason, something happened at halftime there. And in the second half of that game, Adam, Florida played arguably one of its best halves of the season against a team that obviously went on to claim a share of the Southeastern Conference title. Now, whatever happened there and whatever happened on the court in the second half, that carried over to the Auburn game. The Auburn game carried over in a big way, Alabama game, which carried over to the Kentucky game to end the season. So I don't know. Sometimes it takes uh, longer than other uh, situations for, for teams to maybe come to a moment of clarity, individual players to come to a moment of clarity. But uh, ever since the PK-80, Mike White has been telling these guys, doesn't matter how we're playing on offense, we're not getting where we want to go unless you start collectively playing some defense. And that's happened the last couple games, obviously on these last three games for sure, the last three and a half is what I like to say. And along with them buying in more and along with them selling out more on the defensive end, Adam, comes uh, an element of trust that maybe Mike White didn't have with them before in terms of, okay, you're going to play that way on defense. Maybe I'll free some things up on the offensive end and let you guys do what you want to do down there or how you feel more comfortable playing. Because it was always his fear of what was going to happen on defense that maybe held the team back a little bit offensively and didn't let, let him maybe take that step over the line to let him play a little bit more like they would like to. So that's what I've seen happen. And like he, like he always says, like the players always say, let's, let's see if we can do it the next game. That'll be determined when the Gators take the floor Friday night against whether it's South Carolina, Ole Miss, or Arkansas. If they keep playing the way they've been played the last three and a half games, they're going to give themselves a chance every time they go out. You know, it's interesting, too, the way that roles evolve. And one guy I'm thinking about in particular is Kayvon Allen. I remember just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the, the mantra for Kayvon being shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. And yet against Kentucky, he had arguably one of the best games of his career by doing a lot of things other than shooting the ball. So can you talk about the way his role has sort of evolved and what that looks like going forward? Yeah, I'd probably throw out the 35 points in Madison Square Garden. But other than that, it, it may have been his best game of the career. Let's go back to that Tennessee game, Adam. Three shots, zero points. His first scoreless game in 84 games. And I think uh, two weeks ago when I was on this podcast, I'm, I was pretty candid in saying, you know, that's not sustainable. I mean, why even have him on the floor? Well, I mean, that was a conversation that uh, uh, Mike White had with Kayvon Allen. But he also had it alongside Kavarius Hayes and Keystone, who were Kayvon Allen's best friends. And I said, this is on you guys, too. What are we going to do with this guy? Well, the next game was the Auburn game. He scored 24. I think he, he missed his first five shots, and he was walking up the court. Mike White looked at him and goes, do I have to take you out right now, or are you going to keep shooting? No, I'm going to keep shooting. And he kept shooting. Made his next six shots. Next game uh, against Alabama, went on the road, attacked the basket, made winning plays. He didn't have a big scoring night, 
but he was aggressive. Then comes the game against Kentucky, and what he does against Kentucky is uh, he has 11 points. He has a career-high seven rebounds. He has a career-high seven assists. He gets three steals. He is as engaged defensively as I have ever seen him. And uh, as Mike White said afterwards, he didn't take a whole bunch of shots, but his aggressive nature everywhere else made his teammates more aggressive. So what you're seeing, right, what you saw the other day was terrific, aggressive Kayvon Allen. And the Gators can't win without aggressive Kayvon Allen. And uh, I also saw something after the game you know, he came in for interviews, which is, you know, it's a rarity. It's a rarity, certainly, when he says anything. Uh, but he was having a little more fun in there. And I think everyone's having a little more fun right now because they're winning, they're beating good teams, and they're playing really well. And uh, now this has to carry over. And let's hope that uh, when the Gators play Friday night, it probably wouldn't be a bad thing if that was Arkansas on the other side, on the other bench, because he plays pretty well against his uh, flagship school from his hometown state, as he did when he awakened earlier in the season. Uh, with one of those shoot at Kayvon, shoot at Kayvon. That's the game that you referenced in the segue into this question. He had his season high 28 points in that game. Uh, it'd be great if he could duplicate it, but Mike White would settle for an incredible defensive performance like he rolled out the other day against the Cats. A couple days ago, we saw the announcement of the All-SEC teams, which featured a lot of surprises, not just for the Gators. A lot of people surprised that Bruce Pearl was not named SEC Coach of the Year, but maybe on the Gator front, some disappointment that Chris Chios was the only player that was honored on the All-SEC first team and the All-SEC defensive team. Uh, any big snubs that, that you saw there? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I had no problem with Rick Barnes being coached here. They took a share of the SEC. They were picked second to last going into the season. They had, I believe, losing records the last two years. Um, granted, uh, Auburn had some expectations coming in, and that was a huge hit to lose the guys that they lost, Purefay and, and, and Wiley, just before the season started. You know, they're two best big guys. And so Bruce Pearl did a fabulous job. But let's talk about, that's the coaches' uh, poll. And there's some coaches that probably still look a little sideways at what's going on at Auburn, mm-hmm. given the landscape of college basketball right now. So it doesn't really surprise me that, uh, that Rick Barnes was the pick there. He certainly was worthy. But, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem with, obviously, Bruce Pearl. He did a phenomenal job. And uh, they're going to be a high seed in the NCAA tournament. And they're the top seed in the uh, in the SEC tournament because they won that head-to-head meeting with uh, Tennessee earlier in the year. In terms of players, uh, you know, there's only, what, there's two SEC teams. There are, there are eight guys. Uh, you could have probably made a, uh, a case for Jalen Hudson or Igor Kulichov. But, I mean, this is, a, this is as deep as the league's been in a long time. There are some really, really great players. Uh, that it distinguished themselves this year. And having said all that, I'm delighted Chris Chioza got his uh, got his due. Just to take a step back, I mean, the moments that he had against Kentucky, uh, the adulation of the fans before the game, setting the record in the middle of the game, uh, that ovation he got walking off the court for the last time. Man, what a, what a day for that kid and his family. And I couldn't be happier for him. He'll go down as one of the greatest players in the history of the school. His career's not done yet. Uh, he's going into March, and maybe he'll make some more uh, March memories like he did last year. And speaking of making March memories, that could start at the SEC tournament up in St. Louis. So I'm curious, f- from your perspective, what would you say the most important things are that you'd be looking for from this Gator team in this final tune-up before the NCAA tournament? The same thing that, I, that we talked about at the outset of this uh, conversation, the carryover. You know, the reason they beat Kentucky was how they played against Alabama. The reason they beat Alabama was how they played against Auburn. It's not complicated. Uh, sell out defensively, uh, share the ball, play the right way. That's a, that's a cliche you hear a lot nowadays in basketball, but it's, it's so relevant to everything. Um, play the right way means how you're supposed to play 
in the structure of your system. And this team has to share the basketball. Obviously, they have to re- rely a lot on Chris Chiosi. But, man, you see, you saw a lot of uh, extra passing the other day. Um, just play the way you've been playing on both ends of the court. And like I said earlier, you're going to give your chance to be in the game at the end. Turn our attention to football. Gators that used to be in the swamp but are now going to be hopefully playing at the next level. This past week was the NFL Combine. A number of Gators had really strong performances there. So, Scott, can you give us a, a, your, your take on which guys helped their stock the most? I think the clear-cut winner uh, in that category, Adam, is Taven Bryan, the uh, defensive lineman who we all knew uh, that he came on some his last season here. You know, he's six foot four, 291 pounds. He just has athleticism uh, off the charts for a guy that size. And of course, in the NFL Combine setting up there in Indianapolis, that athleticism was dissected in every way possible. And, you know, Taven Bryan was, one, I thought, one of the big winners, uh, not only with the Gators group, but just in the draft as a whole. I, I think, you know, there's been talk anywhere from first to third round for him. Uh, he certainly helped his cause to maybe jump up in that first round. Uh, you know, you, you see a lot, of, you see that word freak this time of year for certain guys at the combine. And, and Taven Bryan, they use that word uh, a lot to describe him because of just how athletic he is for a big man who, uh, you know, he ran a 4.98 40-yard dash. Like I said, he's six foot four, 291 pounds, 35-inch vertical leap. Uh, the guy's just, he can do a lot of things that people his size normally can't do. And now it's a matter of obviously, you know, getting the production on the football field. He was good enough the second half of the season. A lot of people point to that Texas A&M game. And he was dominant in that game. And that's really when his, uh, I think, stock started to skyrocket. And, and now people are certainly paying attention. Well, other than the, the breakout performance from Tave and Brian, who else made an impact and helped their cause? I think one guy that everybody wanted to, to look at, Adam, was Antonio Callaway, uh, the receiver. You know, if you're a Gator fan and follow this program closely, you know his story. He had a lot of off the field issues at Florida. Missed his entire junior season last uh, year due to a suspension. And, you know, there's a lot of question marks about his uh, maturity, his character. But, again, the NFL Combine is about what your physical attributes are. And he goes up there and, you know, he runs an impressive 4-4, 40-yard dash. That's always going to get the attention of scouts. It's going to be a matter of is he going to find one team willing to, you know, use a pick or sign him as a free agent. You know, he's, he's viewed as a high-risk guy. And he was asked all those kind of questions by the media and in his meetings with teams. Why can we trust you now? And, you know, he, he gave the answers that, you know, he should. He's, he's said he's matured, he's learned. But only time will tell uh, that, Adam. Uh, you know, we see some of these players have similar pasts as a Callaway, and, and they do turn it around. And, uh, you know, that's something you, what you hope to see with him. Uh, but the jury's still out, but... Without question, he's got some talent. He's got speed. He's a player that someone will probably take a chance on at some point. It's just a matter of uh, you know what he does with that opportunity. You know, one area the Gators struggled in last year on the field was special teams, and you could actually trace that back largely to Antonio Callaway's absence because of what an important part he was in the return game. But I know that you were interested in taking a deeper dive into those Florida special teams and how that should be a priority for Dan Mullen, and especially given what he's done 
in the past with his special teams. So can you tell us about the inspiration for this breakdown that you did on FloridaGators.com and the, the results that you found? Well, you know, there's no secret that Florida special teams has been really subpar the last few seasons. I think that was one of the knocks on the previous staff. And uh, the numbers don't lie. As good as Johnny Townsend was, I mean, you got to remember, he led the nation in punting last year. He finished his career as the all-time career average leader in SEC history with over 46 yards of punt. And, you know, you look at that, you right away you're thinking, well, gosh, the Gators should have a big advantage in the punting game at least. And, well, they really didn't because their coverage was so bad. And uh, net punting, they only had less than a yard average advantage, even with a talented guy like Johnny Townsend, which, you know, as speaks more or less to their coverage teams. And, and basically, Dan Mullen, since he got here, I mean, he, he was here during those Urban Meyer years. And one thing that really stood out to me, looking at how far the special teams have dropped off at him, Urban Meyer, was, his teams were known for that. And the first couple of seasons under Will Muschamp, uh, they, they still have pretty good special teams. But in the six seasons under Urban Meyer, they blocked 32 kicks. They've only got five blocked kicks in the last five seasons. So, I wow. mean, what huge drop-off that's been just in one facet of special teams. Obviously, they've had some talented return guys post Meyer. You know, Andre DeBose was a good kickoff return guy. When Callaway was available, he added something to the punt return game. But last year, there was just not a lot of spark there on anything other than the punting game with Townsend, the kicking game with Eddie Pinheiro. And in all in other areas, the Gators just were weak and uh, near the bottom of the nation in most categories. And uh, Dan Mullen, you know, I looked at the numbers that he and his staff put up at Mississippi State, and they were mid-middle or near the top in a lot of categories where the Gators were low. And, and Mullen even talked about it some on his uh, speaking tour last week about how he's very involved in special teams. He attends all the meetings. He likes to coach special teams. And, of course, him being with uh, Urban Meyer for the six seasons that Meyer was at Florida and the special teams shine. He understands how important that part of the game is, and he's got some uh, work to do there, and that's going to be a heavy emphasis for the Gators in spring camp. And I'd encourage fans to check out the, the full scope of this breakdown by going to FloridaGators.com and reading your whole story about it. it shows the numbers side to side really helps you understand that comparison and where Florida needs to get in that department. Uh, let's turn our attention to Gator baseball. Another sweep this weekend against Stony Brook, a really dominant performance. And you know, the offensive numbers continue to dazzle. Scott, five players hitting over 340 at the moment. Uh, other than that, what really impressed you from last weekend? Well, Will Dalton certainly impressed me on Friday night with those three home runs. And he's a guy that transferred into the program from a Columbia State College up in Tennessee. And boy, he's produced right away. Uh, He's batting at the top of the order. Like I said, three home runs on, uh, in the first game uh, against Stony Brook, and he's uh, leading the team in RBIs and just very productive. And he set the tone really for the whole lineup because uh, the, really the, the team is hitting from top to bottom. Blake Reese has uh, hit a lot better than expected, which creates a, you know a nice situation for Kevin O'Sullivan when Deacon Lippitt is uh, available return, getting him back in the lineup, you know, uh, plus Blake Reese being so hot. So that that's one thing that stands out. You got to just like the balance that the team has shown. Because last year, you know, when they did win the College World Series, the hitting, it was it was subpar compared to most Florida teams in the past. 
And if boy, if they can continue to hit at this pace and get the pitching and defense that they're known for, <laughs> you could have a, a pretty special one loss record at the end of the regular season. But again, it's still early. Uh, the competition is going to get tougher in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, we'll see how that holds up. But there's no doubt that Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff like the way this team has started the season. Yeah, there's a couple other teams that are also starting their seasons pretty well. Softball, we've talked about them. Uh, they went out to California and continued winning, and especially in the ways they're doing it. Got a combined no-hitter for Kelly Barnhill and Alicia Acasio. That was against a top-10 team in Baylor, which you just don't see that very often. You see a lot of no-hitters in perfect games when you're playing tournaments against lower-caliber teams, but not against a top-10 team in the country. That's remarkable. And then at the same time, lacrosse went on the road, defeated UNC, one of the top teams in the nation. So both of those programs really, really doing well here early in their years. Yeah, Adam, it was one of those weekends when you, you kind of realize how good the Gator Spring uh, sports programs are uh, because, you know, the lacrosse team going up to Carolina is always a difficult challenge. you got to remember the lacrosse team lost the number one ranked Maryland here. Well, Carolina beats Maryland later. Now the Gators go up to North Carolina and beat the Tar Heels. So it looks like that, that lacrosse this year is just going to be a real battle into the uh, postseason with Florida, North Carolina, Maryland all top there. That was a, a big confidence-boosting win for the Gators. And Amanda O'Leary, she she likes his team, and you can see why. And then Tim Walton. Anytime you throw Ocasio and, and Barnhill out there, I mean, you got to like their chances. And I don't know at this point, Adam, like we talked last week, I don't know what else we can say about Kelly <laughs> Barnhill because at this point, I mean, is it too early to, like, put a statue of her outside the stadium while she's still playing? I mean, I don't know, but seriously, she is just a, a tremendous college softball pitcher, only a junior, which uh, if, you know, if softball was a very popular pro sport, it'd be like she'd be definitely the number one pick in the draft sure. coming out after her junior year. That's how good she is. And boy, I know Tim Walton likes having her uh, to be able to go out there in that circle every uh, every couple of games. Wrapping things up today with our PAT, you know, there's this ongoing debate about the state of college basketball, largely because of the scandal that's going on, and everyone's throwing out ideas. One of the latest is Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, he came out with an interesting idea to let undrafted players return to school, and he also supports the NBA allowing players to come straight to the league from high school, getting rid of this one and done, and maybe creating a developmental sort of program through their G League. I'm curious how you feel about both of these measures. I mean, starting next year, Adam, the G League's going to have a franchise for every NBA franchise. So what I'm seeing right now is a is a structure that's that's kind of already there or will will be there. And so I'm just thinking, okay, I, I'm in high school and I, I go into the NBA draft. If I don't get taken or I'm, I'm not ready to go play on the NBA roster, you, you put the guy in the D League. Now, granted... Um, these guys in the D League aren't making a lot of money. I think uh, $26,000 a year is what they make with the exception of two-way contracts. Every franchise gets two that they can bring back and forth, and they're paid more. But if you're a, a first-round draft pick and you're put in the D League, I think you got to make more money. If you're a second-round draft pick put in the D League, you make more money. Guys don't get drafted. It can be a salary scale. But it seems like there's a minor league template or model there existing. Um, and it'll be, like I said, for all franchises, all 30 of them next year. So that seems to be the way to go in terms of Steve Kerr's uh, reference to if I don't get drafted, can I go back? Well, 
I didn't, I didn't see, and I didn't guess I didn't pay close enough attention whether he referenced or not. Uh, did you hire an agent? Have you taken money? So maybe if there's got, I would think there's got to be some kind of stipulation about hiring an agent at that point. Or, but having said all that, this thing's all about to get blow up and go in a different direction. What we knew is college basketball amateurism is going to change a lot over the next uh, uh, several years. So we'll see how that all develops. But I think the G League is ideal, and they should use it to their to their benefit. Uh, how that all plays out, you know, I, I actually had a little conversation with Jeremy Foley just uh, in pregame the other day, and he really likes this committee, and he loves what Condole- how Condoleezza Rice has has you know what she's done to kind of chair this thing. They got a lot of things that kicked around. He's really enjoyed his time there, and nothing's been uh, uh, obviously established yet, but we'll probably hear something about that in the coming months, I would imagine. I'm all for both of them with what he said. Uh, I think we're at the point now where there's just a lot of irrationale in college sports that have existed over the decades. And Oliver, look, he was talking about transfer rules in college sports, how some sports a transfer can't play right away, and yet in other sports they can. Mm-hmm. There's no rationale there. I mean, so so I'm glad to see that some of these rules that have just seem uh, out of time, uh, antiquated, nonsensical i'm glad that they're getting reevaluated and someone like steve kerr who has such a a voice now in american sports is a a guy taking on the issue i think it makes very much sense i mean some of these guys are only stepping foot on these college campuses just to get to the next level if there's a place for them to go and do that elsewhere i think it's a smart move because uh you know there's just certain players certain kids who probably have no interest in being on a college campus, if not just that they have to, to, to buy their time. And why not give them an opportunity to go and pursue their craft and their career? Because they're going to, you know, if they're that good, they're going to make some money. And and whether it's in the NBA or overseas, and um, they can be a success. And the other one about where a player, you know, goes on draft and can come back to school. Again, I like that rule, too, because that way maybe a player does develop and they they feel they have an opportunity at the nba and they decide to to explore that option but they don't get drafted i don't think they should be penalized and not allowed back in school but if they do take that option to come back to school i think they should have to agree okay we're gonna you have to finish out your career now so you know we can plan scholarships and your teammates can know that you're going to be here and we can build around you or have you part of what we're trying to do here. So I think there, there needs to be maybe some stipulations there. But as far as uh, allowing them an opportunity to come back, I'm all for it. Lots of ideas out there. Hopefully some of them get instituted. But for now, what we know for sure is that this week, Chris will be in St. Louis with the Gator men's basketball team. You need to follow him at Gators Chris to keep up with the SEC tournament. And Scott will be back in Gainesville taking care of baseball coverage and more. So follow him at Gators Scott. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. All of basketball is run through the SEC tournament beginning on Friday night at approximately 9.30 p.m. on the SEC Network, and check out FloridaGators.com for more information as the tournament continues. We'll be back next week with an NCAA tournament preview, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in St. Louis.